This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today I talk with actor, director, trailblazer Bill Duke. Duke has been seen on the big screen in many movies including Car Wash, Commando, American Gigolo, and Predator. He's directed television shows including episodes of Dallas and Miami Vice, and big screen hits including Hoodlum, Sister Act 2, and Rage in Harlem. A native of Poughkeepsie, New York, He started learning the performing arts at Dutchess Community College and later went on to Boston University and received his B.A. From there, he would go on to study at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts and the American Film Institute's Conservatory. Then it was off to a decades-long career. Bill, you've had such a long career. Uh, You know, you did a book a couple of years ago, uh, My 40-Year Career on screen and behind the camera. I'm curious, uh, we love to label people. When you see yourself, actor, director, what do you, what do you see yourself as first? First as a director. Mm-hmm. Director, producer, writer. Uh, I love acting, but 
directing is something I have a real great passion for. When I think about you, for us, for our community especially, you were blazing trails and going places before any folk of color, you know, really started to get into those doors. I looked up some things uh, as I was researching for this, and one of the interviews you did, you talked about breaking that glass ceiling, and you said, but sometimes when you break it, you get cut along the way. Mm -hmm. I'm curious whether you see yourself, not egotistically, but uh, as someone who is, because we have too many of those in our community, as unsung for some of the things that you were able to do that certainly blaze trails for those who follow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was very fortunate. I had support from people who cared about me, both black and white, and cared about my um, talents. And um, so I was embraced by the industry in a lot of ways, but also, you know, there have been moments that have been very challenging. I'll give you an example. I was the first black director on Dallas. In those days, Dallas was the biggest show on TV. And um, I was so proud to be a part of that show. So I drove, on my first day, I drove to the gate um, and rolled my window down from my car. And the security guard looks in the car and he says, um, who are you delivering for? And I said, what did you say? He said, who are you delivering for? And um, I wanted to say, I'm about to deliver a can of whip ass to you. <laughs> but if I had said that, I would have been the angry black man in Hollywood and never worked again. So instead I said, I'm delivering my talent as the first black director on Dallas. Would you please open the gate? As I've said so many times, the most rewarding thing was the look on his face. It was a, a mixture of shock and surprise and just mystique. Mm-hmm. It was a great look. Along the way, like many African Americans, Duke had to pay a black tax. He didn't get the same notoriety or opportunities as his contemporaries. His checks were often less. This kind of unfairness can weigh heavy. It was an evolutionary process. Um, in the beginning, uh, you know, it's a business of rejection. Mm-hmm. And people tell you not to take it personally. But if you go up for auditions three a week, and it says no, 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 it starts to weigh on your spirit and your soul. So to deal with that pain in the beginning, I was into drugs and alcohol. And I was sinking fast. And a friend of mine, Aida Tangamana in New York, she was a meditation teacher. And she said, Bill, I love you, but you got to, you're going, I, yeah. So she taught me meditation. And the drugs and alcohol uh, dealt with the symptoms of the pain, and they were temporary. But meditation deals with the cause of the pain. And that means your lack of love or caring for yourself internally because you take people's rejections as you being not quite good enough. And it hurts. But meditation gives you that silence. You're in silence and saying your mantras and the stress comes out of your system and it saved my life. And so I've been meditating for most 
30, almost called it 40 years now, starting in the 70s. And uh, it's been a lifesaver, life-changing. Yeah, we, so, should, we should note, it was not, at a point, recreational use. I mean, you were into drugs at a point. Yes. Yeah, heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, Bill, one of the things that you have been very open about, particularly in your book, the memoir, was, is very um, uh, free and open about your life, which many memoirs aren't. You know, people try to paint that life in the best light sometimes as opposed right. to being truthful. Um, uh-huh. In this business, for any of us that are in a quote-unquote talent-oriented business, so I, I talk about those of us who've done journalism on television, it's still a talent-oriented business, those who are actors and like, it is very much an up-and-down business. And people see you in the high years, but don't always see you in the low years. You talk about how over your career, you know, you had to survive at times and humble yourself. Dealing with the truth and reality of the industry, which is a roller coaster ride. Um, I put it in a metaphor, and it's the Bill Duke, but it applies to many people who, as they get older, this happens to. Um, it's a four-part. Who's Bill Duke? Number one. Two, you got to get me Bill Duke. Number three, find me a younger Bill Duke. Number four, who's Bill Duke? <laughs> You're right. Does that summarize it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And, and, and those of us who stick around find ways to navigate each of those. That's exactly right. Who is Bill Duke, the first one? You yes. got to kick in the door and find your way in and then get out. And get me, Bill Duke, you That's also right. have to survive the headiness of That's that. That's right. Right? And then the, the third is the idea that you somehow have to understand that there's a new one coming your way. You're That's not right. always that first call. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, the latter. And you got to live through all of them. Hey, listen, I try to keep my hand in God's hand as much as I can and know that I'm here because of something much larger than me. And so it's about getting rid of the ego and also not overestimating the intellect. But there's some things that are much larger than our ego and intellect, much larger. Bill, I've heard you talk about this, and I've asked this of many people we've had on recently, those who've been in the business for a while, and that is the, the, the sense of learning one's craft, whatever that craft may be. I, uh, I appreciate all of what young people are afforded by social media and all of the things, so it's not a hatred uh, by any means of the old guy, get off my lawn. But there is something about understanding what you're doing beyond the first peel of the onion. Um, how, do, how do you see where the industry sits, the um, you know, talent-making side of it? How do you see that there are a lot of people out here who not only aren't learning a craft, they don't necessarily really have one? Are you okay with that? No, I'm not. And the thing is, it destroys... It destroys the, how can I say it, the expectations of the audience in terms of, you feed the audience mediocrity, they soon think mediocrity is excellence. Mm -hmm. Uh, I appreciate those people who study the craft of acting, the craft of directing, the craft of writing, the craft of producing. They're crafts. 
And you have to, if you're going to be excellent at it, you have to study it. Um, also, there are a lot of people coming into the industry now with passion, but no understanding that it's a business. So they're crushed pretty quickly. They have one success uh, because they did it with passion, but they never thought about the fact of how they're going to pay their investors back. And a number of years ago, as I say over and over, um, I was very frustrated because I had going into uh, with my as a director going into I mean studios and networks, pitching my projects. And it's a great idea, Bill. We'll get back to me. Never got back to me. And so one day I went to my agent and said, "This is so frustrating. I can't. What is what 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 is what is the problem?" They said you're going to get back to me. Never do. And he said, "Bill." did you answer the essential question in the first five to seven minutes of your pitch? I said, the answer to what question? He said, in the first five minutes of the pitch, Bill, because a lot of these creative executives are accountants, mm-hmm. they want to know, how in the hell are you going to make me my money back? Mm-hmm. You're talking about your grandfather was a slave and all the pain he's gone through. And they were looking and waiting and waiting and looking and looking and waiting. Hmm. Is he ever going to tell me how in the hell I'm going to make me my make me my money back? And I was like, that's so cold blood. And my agent said, Bill, if someone asked you for five million dollars, would you want to know the answer to the same question? And that changed my whole way of thinking about it. Because damn right. I gave you money, you're going to give my money back, right? With a profit, right? It's a business. That business hasn't always included people of color in a representative way. Since the racial unrest sparked by the death of George Floyd, Hollywood has looked to be more inclusive. But change is often slow. Recently, NBC declined to carry the next Golden Globe Awards because of the lack of diverse representation in the awards governing group, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The association promises to correct their lack of diversity. But the larger question is whether Hollywood's new attention being paid to people of color is a real change or just a blip on the radar screen that is sure to flatline again. It could be a blip. And maybe the next year or two, you know, there's some, you know. But we've always been considered not to be, and black content is not considered to be globally globally translatable. In other words, domestic, but Europe and Asia and, you know, Africa, et cetera, that we're not necessarily considered to be able to be in those markets and be successful. Um, my prayer is that there will be a time where there will be minorities that can greenlight projects globally. Right now, I don't know of any, but I hope the day comes where there's an executive that is conscious and of color says, yeah, let's, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And it can translate globally. 
How optimistic are you with that? I mean, this is a wish we've had. I know. I, right. think what, I think what you said, though, was unique in that because we don't often hear it. You said someone of conscience who understands. You can put a black people a person in a seat and may not necessarily understand right. the dynamic of what they're doing. Or care. Or care. Get that check. <laughs> uh, I hope that there is a consciousness that comes at some point. I hope that a consciousness comes at some point in terms of that. And also because an actor, producer, writer, director is older, it does not mean they're no longer relevant or significant. I was, a a while ago, I directed a film called Cemetery Club. And it was with three white Diane Ladd, three famous white actresses, their husbands had died. It was a play and they formed this group to put a club together of mourning. Um, And Olympia Dukakis, great cast. And we took it around the country touring it and, and, you know, screenings and stuff. And the question I was asked every single time was by interviewers and critics. Uh, Mr. Duke, you are a black director, and this is a film about three white women. Why, I mean, why would you direct a film like that? Um, I said, because I've had people in my life that have died. I understand mourning. I understand that, and the play was well-written. But they said, well, you know... um, you're a black director, and these are three white females, and there's no real, it's one part for a black man in the whole film. Why are you? And here's what got me. They said, I said, they said, why are you? I said, well, Steven Spielberg just directed The Color Purple. And they would look at me with a straight face, and they did not mean this in any kind of damaging way. This is just from their hearts. They said to me, but that's different. How do you how do you respond to that? It's always a one-way lens when they look at it that way. I remember doing the O.J. Simpson interview, and they asked me, how could I be unbiased in interviewing O.J.? And I turned around and said, you know, did you ask Barbara Walters the same when she talked to Mark Furman? No, yes. you didn't. So why are you asking me that? Right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The same. <laughs> it's deep. It's deep. It's deep. When we return, Bill Duke on his classic roles on the screen and why he believes you must lay groundwork for the upcoming generation. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. 
Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Here we are again, bro. Just you and me. Same kind of moon, same kind of jungle. Real number 10 night, remember? Whole platoon, 32 men chopped into meat. We walk out, just you and me. Nobody else. Right on top of scratch, not a fucking scratch. You know whoever got you. Don't come back again, and when he does, I'm gonna cut your name right into. I'm gonna cut your name into. That's Bill Duke as Sergeant Mark Elliott in the action classic Predator. Just one of the scene-stealing characters Duke has played over the years. And I want to talk about the acting side. You know, when I think about some of the movies you've been in, 
I think about the one I think most of us, all of us maybe were introduced to you and that's car wash. But we go down the list and you've heard this before with American Gigolo and, and Commando and Predator. And when you think about those seminal movies that you've been a touchstone in, um, it, how do you look at that? Because there, there are many actors that if they're lucky, they get one of those movies that stand the test of time. You know, arguably, you've had four or more of those movies and your characters in those movies have always been unique enough, though they're not the lead, to be remembered. You could have been in that and had a character that, oh, oh yeah, Bill Duke was in that. Mm-hmm. But in all of those movies, those roles were unique, or at least you brought uniqueness to them to be remembered. How do you see that? Well, I've been very fortunate uh, to play various kinds of roles, etc., but the thing that's going to be shocking to you, Predator, um, Commando, all those other movies I've been in. I travel, so I've traveled around the world over, over my lifetime. And the one movie, the one quote that I get from all the movies I have been in, and, I, and it's from Minister Society. Mm-hmm. And the one line, because I was only in one scene, I was in Japan. And these young boys come up to me and say, Oh, Bill Duke, Bill Duke, you know you done fucked up, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm saying, wait a minute, guys. But that's, I swear to you. To, to, to this day, and young people watch it, older people watch it, but for some reason, that one phrase or whatever is the one that they remember more than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And, and, you know, it's funny, Bill, because it, I tell people at the end of the day, it doesn't matter other than it's remembered. And so at the end of the day, it's that you give someone something that's memorable. Yes, yes. You know. It's so true, so true. Yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you about, um, I don't know if it's fair to call it a resurgence, you know, LL said don't call it a comeback, but of late, Bill, we have seen you in Black Lightning, um, you know, The Oval. I understand you've got some stuff in the pipeline, a movie yes. with Matt Damon and, and Don Cheadle. And, uh, yes. uh, no, no sudden move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it like to have, you know, kind of this resurgence to be in this um, and, and you're kind of getting that get me Bill Duke thing again? What, what's that been for you? It's been rejuvenating. It's been, um, how can I say, hopeful. Uh, it gives you, makes you feel more alive. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel more relevant um, because I love what I do. And I know it sounds crazy. I don't never want to retire, ever. Because many of my friends that retire end up dead a very few years after the retirement. It's like something happens to the mind, the body, and the spirit when you kind of shut things down. I never want to do that. I want to be able to be relevant, but also alert, health of mind, body, and spirit. Um, I just am grateful. Grateful, grateful 
that people are recognizing my talent and and uh, really respecting me as a human being. And it's 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 very it's very rewarding, and I'm grateful for it. Well, you seem I I, I know you in passing, but you seem very even keel. Were you always that way, or did the meditation bring that to you? Oh, meditation not only saved my life, but the lives of many others. Because um, there's a whole other side. And um, sometimes there are people that take your kindness for weakness. <laughs> right. And it's a big mistake. Right. Uh, and when I was much younger, I responded to that aggressively. But now, after meditation, not that I'm always perfect, uh, but I'm able to see them through another lens, um, and I avoid confrontation rather than confront them. Now, there are moments when I'm, I've had a very, very difficult time, um, and I'm praying that the meditation kicks in. <laughs> But there have been moments when it has not. But compared to how I was when, before I meditated, there's no comparison. None. And I'm confronted with people. There are people that are... They, they're in pain. They take their pain out on you. Mm-hmm. You don't even know them. You could be driving down the street or in a line in the grocery store or, you know... And the rest, you know, it makes no difference. They see you and you, I don't know why, but I try to take a breath, breathe, and uh, do what I do. And to your point, this business um, really exacerbates that, I think. The way people handle you in this business, to your point, that sense of it ain't personal, sure it is. (laughs) Personal. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for you to take an insult. Um, or sometimes it's just crazy. I was walking down the street in New York City one time. And this lady passes me. And she says, hey, you, you, you. I turn around. I say, yes, ma'am. You're that actor. You're actor, that actor, right? And I say, yes, ma'am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, you're that actor. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? I said, Bill Duke. She said, no, not him. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> Tell me what you do with that. I said, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I remember Ed Bradley telling me about understanding when people meet you. It's their moment. Sometimes they get lost. He said the same thing happened. Somebody recognized him on the street. She said, you're the, the guy from 60 Minutes. She said, the guy from 60 Minutes. He says, yes. She said, your name, your name, your name. He says, Diane Sawyer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love he, it. He just said, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I want to get to, because you said, you know, if you had to pick one, uh, directing would, would be the, the love and the understanding that, and, and, and a lot of people just don't know what directors do. You know, they hear it, they know the director's chair, but they don't understand the idea of crafting the movie, the arc of characters and all the things that directors have. 
a hand in. Let me ask you this first about directing. Does it hurt more if critics and or fans don't like a movie you've directed versus don't like a performance you've given? They're both painful, but directing is because you spend, I can spend a week shooting a movie as an actor. As a director, we're spending at least six or eight weeks sometimes in pre-production. Sometimes two or three months in production. And sometimes eight to 10, 12 weeks in post-production. And then marketing the film and going on tours and stuff. And uh, it takes a chunk out of your life, time-wise. And it's a rejection of not just your talent, but you, you as an artist, your vision, your, it's a, it's, it's a rough one. It's rebuffing your child to a degree. People think about it as, as I produce things versus just being the talent. You know, when somebody talks about you, you might not like that you can deal with it. When they talk about your child, that's a whole nother thing. Oh, different. (laughs) Yeah. Bill, let me ask you, tell the story if you would about, uh, when you got the Knox, Knott's Landing gig the first time. Share that story. Well, I had gone to AF, American Film Institute, and the great Tony Vallani, who was the head of it then, really, he was the foundation of my being a filmmaker. So I made a film called The Hero, a short little film called The Hero. I got some awards and recognition. And, and so I shot the film around to all the networks and studios. And I said, well, it's a nice little film, but we're not going to give you your first shot on our show. Uh, we'll give you a second shot. If you, after you do the first one, we'll give you it. I went away depressed, and I meditated at that time. And I, was just so I went away to a meditation retreat. And um, uh, my um, agent called me and says, hey, David Jacobs over in Knox Landing wants you to come back and, and uh, let's interview you. So, Rushed back to LA. It was in David Jacobs' office, maybe five minutes. He just said, Okay, thank you. And I said, said, What was that about? That was ridiculous. It was, so he said, You know, hey, whatever it is, it is. A week later, he calls me back and says, David Jacobs wants you to direct Knox Landing. I said, What? I told everybody I knew. I was so happy. I was just. I can't, can't tell you what's meant so much. So I'm in pre-production for a week. Those days you give us seven days of prep and seven days of shoot. And Joe Wallenstein, I think, is, Wallenstein was his name, was the producer. He said, Bill, you did a great pre-production. We knew you were going to be great based upon your reel. I said, what reel? He said, well, the reel that, you know, from your other shows that you shot. I said, I said Joe, I just got an AFI. I just got a Months, months, he said, wait a minute. He goes into David Jacobs' office. David Jacobs had mixed my box up with somebody else's. <laughs> and that's how I got my first job. Wow. But th- the idea of being prepared, prepared was what wanted. Prepared. That's why the craft is so important. That's why I try to tell young people, your passion is, I'm not saying you shouldn't have passion. But acting, directing, producing, writing, it's a skill. 
and to take the time to study that skill and the t- principles of that skill. The, I mean, if you're a director, studying editing is one of the basic fundamental things that you, because when I was just studying filmmaking and not editing, Tony Bonani said, Bill, study editing. And the reason was because I would shoot my film and I'd edit it and I I should have gotten that shot. Well, I got it next time. Because you 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 know that you 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 learn from editing. Right. But but it but it's a craft. I mean, you know, directing, for example, it's a craft. And it's a so you a two-part craft. One, it's being able to shape the character arc and the story arc of all the characters and the story arc of the film. And then you got to translate that vision of what you see to sometimes 50 to almost 100 people, uh, you know, and you have to give them your vision and how to do it and blah, blah, blah. And that's not easy, but you do it. Then it's the craft of management. It's, you manage three things, time, people, and money. Mm-hmm. You can be the greatest visual person in the world. If you can't manage time, people, and money, you got a problem. Unless you're, you know, Steven Spielberg or those bigger names. When, but if you're coming into the industry, time, people, and money. You go on to as you say, Dallas, Miami Vice, a number of Hill Street Blues, a number of the hit television series. And then, of course, you do uh, big screens. Uh, uh, one of my favorites, Hoodlum, uh, you, you directed. Uh, loved what you did with Cicely and Lawrence and, and that and uh, Rage, uh, Rage in Harlem and, and uh, Deep Cover, which has become a cult favorite for a lot of uh, people. Um, what do you want to go on to do, Bill? You know, you could, you could walk away right now and, and, and have your career solidified as one, as I said, who's blazed trails. And those of us who know, and I wish more knew, but those of us who know understand what you've done. Um, but for one who says, and I, and I understand this because I feel the same way, when you don't want to retire, there's always another mountain. There's always something else you want to do. There's always something else you're seeking. What is that for you? Well, the question that is considered by most agencies and studios and networks is, one, are you still relevant? They base upon the last things that you did. Even though you did something 10, 15 years ago that made a lot of money, and there's somebody younger that's coming along, and that. So you faced, you faced, the issue of aging, somehow aging makes you less relevant. Even though the older you get, the wiser you are because you have a context within which to frame the present. People just coming up, they're just dealing with the present. But if, but if you have an understanding of history that you've lived through, uh, you can give a greater depth to what you're presenting because it has relevance not only to now, but to, I call it edutainment. Yes, I like to entertain people so the investor can get their money back, but I want to put a little nuggets of inf- things that make you feel and think too. 
So I, to, to, to give, make you feel. So that's really my goal. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have to balance it between, you know, entertainment and relevance. Bill, lastly, what's it like for you to go on sets now where you do see us a little bit more than you used to? You know, you do see us in a director's chair. You do see us lighting at times. You do see us behind the camera. What's it like for you now to know that you are one of the reasons that those people are in those chairs and in those positions? It's, 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 it's rewarding and, and wonderful. Um, to see young people now that are doing things that we would not be able to do when I came up and not face the same kind of obstacles to a certain extent, but that we didn't face. It's, uh, it's rewarding. Yeah. And I wish that they would have more understanding of what a John Singleton and a Spike Lee and a Bill Duke and it goes on and on and on, you know, um, went through. It's not going to, you know, and I hope that they pass it on to the next generation. Not just keep what they have, but think of it in terms of they have an obligation to pass it on. That's what Spike did. That's what John did. That's what I tried to do. And, and you know, Roy Campanella Jr., it's like, it's, 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 we owe it to our culture to, to, to not get blamnesia. That's the black man's amnesia. You know, okay, I got mine, you get yours. I was, this is like 10 or 12 years ago, I was having dinner in New York. These friends of mine were very wealthy at this amazingly expensive restaurant and they were treating me to dinner and stuff. I had a bottle of champagne that cost $500. We had three of them. And we were just had a great time, great food and everything. We came outside after we ate and this lady was sitting on the sidewalk in front of the restaurant with her baby in her arms and had her hand out for some money and some change. And uh, so I reached in my pocket and pulled out some money and gave it to her. And um, as we're walking away, one of my buddies who paid for the meal said, what did you do that for? So what are you talking about? What did you give that money for? It's because she's obviously out there with her baby uh, begging for dollars and she's hungry. He says, well, she got to pull herself up by her bootstraps. I looked at him and I said, did you see any damn boots on her? You see any boots? Well, you know what I mean. I don't know what you mean, man, because somebody helped you at some point. What is, what is the problem? Well, too many people are begging. I, I couldn't go on with the conversation because I would have gotten very upset and called him names that we wouldn't be friends. But there are a lot of people that have the attitude, they forget where they came from and who helped them. And now that they're in a position where they can help other people, now nah, I'm not going to do that because they're not worth my attention. It's sick. It's a sickness in our culture. Well, Bill, listen, man, I appreciate the time. I appreciate that there are other mountains for you to climb and that, you, you know, you're still out there with, with the ropes 
and the boots and getting up that mountain. You know, you, you've done us, you've done us proud and done us well in, in giving images for us for so many years. And we thank you for it. Thank you, my brother. God bless you. And we have a great program. Thanks for having me on. And we do it again sometime. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.